Mindfulness Mode 351. There's this world out there that's been in front of your eyes the entire time and you never saw it. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. You've come to the right place because this is where you can learn how to be mindful, learn how to become more grounded and more centered. And that is because I have interviewed so many guests who have made this happen for themselves. And today is no exception. But first, I want to tell you that I have received feedback from my guests talking about sleep because sleep is an issue for a lot of people. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who are like you, people who listen to this show, they get excited about things and then at night can't fall asleep. And a number of people have recently said, would you record a guided meditation to help me fall asleep? And I've done this quite a few times for my clients and they have reported back that they just fell asleep very, very quickly and became very relaxed and fell into a deep sleep. So I have had lots of feedback. So I recorded another special one just for you, Mindful Tribe just for listeners here on the show and I'm delighted to share it with you here it's so that you can enjoy a deep easy sleep because you deserve that you deserve to sleep naturally to fall asleep easily without any kind of medications or any anything else to help you just relax and fall asleep to a calm gentle voice is what I'm told, that people find my voice is a way to fall asleep easily. Rest comfortably without effort. And you can get this guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash sleep. Last time we featured a branding expert and it was a very interesting episode. It was episode 350 with Amina Altai. If you missed that interview with Amina, I think you should go back and listen to it. You can always type in mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode, in this case 350. Today's episode is fascinating, at least it was to me. Ben is a corporate executive and he left his corporate job to do something completely different. I'm not going to tell it all to you now. You'll learn about it on the show. The show is called Take Off Your Shoes and Walk from Corporate to Calm. And that's exactly what Ben Fetter did. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with my my featured guest, Ben Fetter. Hey, Ben, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am indeed. I'm <laughs> mindfully here. I'm present. That is awesome. That is awesome. And I'm just going to share a little bit about you, Ben, with our listeners. Ben Fetter is CEO of a large gaming enterprise called Tencent Games and formerly was CEO of Take Two Interactive, the publisher of Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption. In an effort to revitalize his sense of purpose and to rebuild family relationships, he dropped everything and left his fast-paced Manhattan lifestyle to head to an exotic island for a year of growth, including a new level of mindfulness, meditation, and artistic expression. So, Ben, I'm fascinated to talk with you about your journey. What does mindfulness mean to you in your life? 
Um, you know, I think mindfulness is kind of a big word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, for me, it was a, um, it was almost the opposite of what mindlessness means, which is, um, for me, it was striving and achieving and pursuing goals and for no reason other than to strive and achieve and pursue goals. I didn't, you know, it was lacking kind of a bigger purpose. And I had this moment in my life where I realized it wasn't working for me anymore and that what was beginning to suffer was the relationships that mattered most to me, namely my family. And um, uh, and I didn't know what mindfulness was until I actually kind of just, you know, almost, you know, I didn't know what it was called. I just left my job and did something in a deliberate way, in a mindful way. Um, and only once I'd been away, I started reading about mindfulness and all these um, ways of, uh, of uh, you know, staying mentally fit that, uh, you know, having spent a lifetime being physically fit, all of a sudden I started reading about uh, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, the uh, uh, neuroplasticity and um, you know for me mindfulness has become a way of rewiring my mind to and my brain to behave in the way that I wanted to behave in the way that was you know less anxious and less um, uh, you know less of a slave to those those urges of you know achievement and success and be more deliberate about what I what I how I wanted to live my life and who I wanted to spend my time with well, you know, I think it's fantastic that you did this, but not only did you do it, but you you tell us the story of how you did it in your book called Take Off Your Shoes. And I think it's fascinating how you were able to, to convey to the reader your journey. And one of the first times in the book that you talked about mindfulness was in chapter seven, and you talked about Helen or Ellen Langer, a uh, Harvard professor. She wrote the book Mindfulness, and uh, she talked about how most of us have predictable responses to the stimuli in our environment. And, you know, we follow these routines and have these automatic responses. And you talked about how, you know, we can make conscious choices. We can do the opposite to what we might normally have done. So was this one of the first times when you read that book that you started really thinking about mindfulness? Um, you know, what really turned me on to meditation and mindfulness was a combination of just a general uh, intellectual interest in neuroplasticity, just because I'm a, I read a lot and I happen to have picked up the topic. Um, and the first book interested in it was written by, not by Ellen Langer, but by a guy named uh, Yongi Rinpoche, who's a Buddhist monk, wrote a book called Joyful Wisdom. And, you know, he's a story where he uh, grew up, grows up in Nepal with what he says, you know, would be described by Western doctors as severe anxiety disorder. And living in a country where there was a lot he's anxious about, right, um, food security, shelter security, lived on the top of a mountain, had to walk down to get water, that kind of thing. Anyway, he finds himself in the U.S. and, you know, all these people driving around in shiny cars and shopping malls and he thinks, wow, these people must be so happy. And, you know, he realizes everybody's kind of driving around with their shoulders up against their ears and uh, stressed out and he's trying to, he tries to figure out what's going on. And the book is really an, in, um, as well as an antidote about kind of, you know, what's really going on and how do you begin to solve it. And that was my first introduction into meditation and mindfulness. Um, and I know mindfulness and meditation are different, but we'll call it mindful meditation. Sure. And, um, and I got really curious. I found it really compelling. 
And that led me down kind of yet another reading path, including Ellen Langren. But hers was really interesting. Um, and I, you know, I, so I kind of felt like I had discovered something brand new. Meanwhile, this groundswell of mindfulness going on in the West. Um, but I think she was one of the first and she really did it, um, to describe what happens to people as they age. I went on the sabbatical in my middle age, in my late forties. And, um, uh, you know, I kind of, I just, I thought what she, what she had to say was super compelling and it kind of spoke to me. And I was in time in my life when I was beginning to ask those kind of questions. But to your earlier point, right, I'd already made a mindful choice. I'd already made a deliberate choice by the time I picked, uh, picked up on it. And for sure, it's true to me, from what I know about neuroscience, is that the way neural pathways work is that the more we think a thought, the more we think a thought, right? We kind of have the same thought patterns over and over and over again. And like, you know, a sled through the snow, the more often you go through, the deeper those tracks get, and they're harder and harder to, to dig yourself out of. And um, and I thought that really compelling. I mean, there were parts of the way my thought pattern worked that weren't making me happy. And I said, wow, what if you can make a deliberate choice to to rewire the way your brain works, to, think, to literally think different thoughts? And what scientists know is not only think different thoughts, you literally, the anatomy of the brain literally changes by thinking different thoughts. And um, I, I thought that was super interesting. And a lot of what I did in Bali was just kind of this science experiment, experiment on my own brain about, you know, can I change and how do I change? And um, and it was an, it had enormous benefit and just like shockingly um, impactful and beneficial. So... Um, you know, Langer was one of the first first books I read about, not the first, but one of the first. And, you know, there are many others that I'm sure are great. Well, I'm very and, uh, interested about your journey in writing the book, because not only did okay. you unwind while you were on this sabbatical, but you wrote the book. Did you blog or write all the time as you were experiencing that uh, that getaway in Bali? I didn't. The truth is, I, I'm really, I, uh, writing is hard for me. I think mm-hmm. it's hard for everybody, but I found it really hard. Yeah. Um, we kept a family blog, and I'd say, you know, everybody in the family contributed. There, my wife and me, four children. Um, and there was a lot of video, and it wasn't all writing. It was, you know, video and photos, and, um, and it was actually a good resource for me as a book. But, um, and the title, Take Off Your Shoes, comes from, you know, one blog post that I had that I called Take Off Your Shoes, and I kind of expand the book. Um, but I wouldn't say writing was a big part of my sabbatical, but um, uh, I would say a big part of my sabbatical was cultivating a sense of um, creativity and creative expression. And writing is certainly that. Well, you talked about uh, taking a little uh, drawing class, and, and was that your very first experience with drawing and art? And then you moved on to, to painting, I know. Was, and it was. It was it was yet another it was it was it was yet another kind of little science experiment on my own brain about um, you know what can I do with this kind of newfound this this engine that I found that um, had all sorts of applications and uh, you know I'd never taken up drawing I'd say my my skill level was the equivalent of drawing stick figures um, and again through reading a book I came across a thirty year old book that talks about you know an, an art an, an, an art teacher who sort of says look anybody can draw the trick is to learn how to see yeah and um, and I thought that was fascinating mostly because well first you know well once I had gotten going I kind of realized what she meant by learning how to see and I kind of all of a sudden you realize that there is this world out there that's been in front of your eyes the entire time and you never saw it you never perceived it it's there it's in plain light as soon as you learn to see it, it's like oh my god it's there 
but you never you never notice it, you never perceive it. And so there's a lot of life lessons in all of that about you know what you think you see and what's real. Um, and there's a lot of mindful meditation of really trying to understand, including your thoughts, you know, what's real and what's what's an illusion. And, what's, um, and so I just thought, and all of all of it kind of tied together in terms of just slowing down the thought process and really trying to understand kind of um, what I'm perceiving and what's real, what's my own interpretation of it, um, and uh, what's not real, and what's just kind of what my mind makes up. And I think that's true in meditation. I think it's true in drawing. I think it's true in a lot of things. I find it true in business, frankly. It kind of reminds me of a, a quote that you included in chapter 10. You said that much of what you'd pursued in your career and your personal life was about trying to shape your world into how you thought things should be instead of accepting things as they were. So it sounds like this was kind of a pivotal realization. Did you start learning more how to accept things at that point? Um, there is an element of taking the world as it comes. And I would say that um, uh, I kind of learned that over time, right? I don't think I, it didn't, I had spent so much of my career trying to shape the world in the way I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, um, the way I thought the world should be, right? Not what I wanted, but what it should be. Like I should be this. I should. I should. I should have achieved this much by this amount of time. Um, and it's a kind of a torturous way to live, honestly. Yeah. And um, and instead of that, beginning to uh, accept the world as it comes, and the world's kind of like that's a big word, but how about just accepting people as they are, and expecting um, accepting situations as they are. When you find you do that, and um, on the one hand, it's just a much more uh, peaceful way to live. But for an entrepreneur, um, you begin to wonder whether you lose your edge. And what I, uh, by doing that, and what I discovered is, uh, while it's true, I think you can, uh, can lose your edge, but you can also and, and lose your effectiveness. But you can soften your edge and lo not lose your effectiveness. In fact, ironically, uh, you become more effective. Right you, when you start beginning to connect to people in a much more uh, human way. Um, and realize that much of business at the end of the day is, is a human affair. Um, you find you much more um, open to situations, open to growth, um, and a better leader. And I think that's what I found. Right. When you came back from your sabbatical, it sounds like you started to do some coaching, helping some other CEOs. What did you find were some of their biggest pain points? Um, well, it's hard to draw. Everybody's different. It's hard to draw a line. It? But oftentimes when you talk to, you find exactly what we were just talking about with like, okay, an entrepreneur thinks, well, they should have accomplished this amount by this amount of time or they, you know, where they're not being promoted within an organization. And you sort of see their ego get in front of um, their ability to really succeed. And this is what I mean by, you know, actually paradoxically achieving more and succeeding more. You know, ego gets in the way of, uh, people, people get in their own way all the time, and their ego is usually what causes it. Yeah. And I remember sitting with one entrepreneur, and he was just he was exhibiting all these symptoms. And I said, you know, can we talk about that voice inside your head? And he said, what do you know? What's, how do you know what's going on inside my head? I was like, this goes inside everybody's head. You know, everybody thinks it's kind of the most natural thing, right? But can we recognize also that it's just a voice inside your head? It's not real. It's just it is it is a secretion of your brain. The way you know. It's not exactly a good analog, but I think of it that way. It's like your sweat glands produce sweat, your brain produces thoughts. And it's not real, right? So let's kind of figure out what's real, what's not, um, and um, 
and act accordingly. And I, and you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into those ambitions. I think it's great to be ambitious and it's great to want to succeed. But when you start torturing yourself over it, it kind of crosses the line to something a little less helpful to anybody, including the person who's thinking those thoughts. I'm not sure I've answered your question. I may have gone a little bit around. But yeah. Yeah. Well, in the book, I got a sense that you really built your connection with your family and your wife quite a bit as a result of being over there. Can you describe how that, that happened and how it felt? Well, you know, I think the, you know, my relationship with my wife, uh, she's in the book a lot, but I really kept a lot of that private because, um, uh, there's always a struggle with the memoir of what you keep private and what you disclose. For sure. Um, and then with my children, the two children that I was most concerned about as I was, you know, when I was in my job and kind of circling the globe multiple times a year, living on an airplane, was my oldest and my youngest. My youngest was, uh, you know, from the time I took over seeing a CEO of that company, she was four, and then I was there for four years, to so call it eight, uh, maybe three to three to seven. So, you know, those were kind of critical years where I kind of felt like I was not connected to her in any way. Right. I'd like to do it. And then... And then my oldest son, there was this moment when I kind of walked, uh, walked, I came in to the apartment after work one day and he was in eighth grade sequestered in his room, just kind of barricaded behind this closed door doing his homework. He was a serious student and I cracked the door open. And I said, I said, hello to him. And he turned around and just kind of grunted something at me. And then as graders do, I guess. <laughs> and then at dinner, he grunted some more. And I had this this epiphany of, uh, okay, so he's going to go into this competitive high school. That door is going to get closed more often. And I'm not going to see him. And meanwhile, I'll be traveling around the world some more. <clears throat> um, and then I'll go to college out of out of state. And so um, I'll lose him there. And I have this moment. It's like, this, this is going to be over next year for him and me. And I'll lose my opportunity. And I just had this now and ever moments. And what I talk about in the book is like, this is where I thought like I had this uh, this clarity around the idea of this is where husbands and fathers become the men they never intended to be. They are carried away by their ambition and by their success or not, or whatever it is, it's whatever the urgencies of work are. And before they know it, they've turned around, their kids are grown up and out of the house and they don't have a relationship with them. And forget me, even in the eyes of my children, I wanted them to have a relationship with their father. I didn't want to be that dad that was never around. No. And so I, you know, mindfully <laughs> decided that I needed to make a deliberate choice about what I wanted to do. <clears throat> and and I, I paid a price. I gave up a lot for it. I paid a big price for it. But to me, it was the mindfulness part of it was really just a statement of values and expression of values about what's important. Well, it really resonated with me, Ben, because I have a 16-year-old son. His name is Ben. He wants to be a he wants to be a theoretical physicist, and he just lives, eats, and breathes. Great, great. we can have a, give him a theoretical. We can give him a theoretical job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, no, he he's just so intent on what he wants to do, and he's very very focused on that. And I yeah. keep thinking, yeah, this is this time is passing so quickly, and you know, it's a time right. to be connected. I've been teaching him to drive, and so that gives me some time to talk to him about things that matter in his life. So I I totally resonated with that part of the book where you were. You are building this deeper relationship with your 
with your children. And I think you really conveyed it very well in the book. Now, one of the things I always ask, Ben, is a question about um, about bullying. And if you have a story that you could share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference. Well, you know, um, one of the uh, subplots in the movie, or sub arcs, narrative arcs, is the story of my daughter who was bullied in her school. Right. Um, and really suffered terribly. Uh, she would come home and either cry or fight with her brothers, and we wouldn't know what it was about. And then kind of towards the end of the evening, you kind of find out what happened in school that day. And it was oftentimes, it's, I don't tell you about bullying, but, you know, oftentimes it wasn't anything specific. It was an eye roll from some girl, and, you know, and you know, all of a sudden she became devastated. Um, and then um, by taking her out of that environment and putting it into an environment where she absolutely flourished, we noticed something, one, um, that, you know, she could have a positive experience. And that school was obviously the wrong place for her. Um, but two, as a few years later, as she's um, a young adult now, and uh, or a teenager, uh, she's just this utterly different human being. It's just like so amazing to watch. And I'm sure some of that may have happened anyway. But uh, taking her out of that toxic environment in and of itself was probably a mindful approach. Um, so I don't think you need to like, get up and go to Bali and have that experience. Um, uh, but taking her out of a toxic environment, I, I thought, provided you can put her in an environment that's not toxic, um, A, is beneficial, and B, kind of at least shows her that her parents are paying attention and that um, are concerned and caring and kind of look, doing the best thing for her. Um, and then in terms of, you know, other forms of mindfulness, um, she and I meditate together periodically. And when she's feeling stressed, she notice kind of the exercises. And I teach her about how to rewire her brain to, to you know, deliberately think different thoughts so that over time those thoughts become habitual. Um, and we do that too, just as kind of coping, life coping mechanisms, dealing with stress, dealing with problematic relationships, because, you know, in adults, we'll all have problematic relationships. And this is a bit of a teaching moment too. Um, and so, um, you know, I just think, uh, you know, my, again, mindfulness is a big word, but, you know, if I had to um, uh, identify two things, uh, one was, you know, making a deliberate choice to remove her from, the, from a bad environment. Um, and then two, kind of, you know, regular mindful meditation is kind of a, a skill set that I think is important. And so what does your form of meditation look like? Is it silent? Is it guided? How long is it? Can you tell us about that? Uh, I do, I do a bit of a bunch of things. I'm laughing because I went on a medit sort of a wellness retreat this past weekend and I had the most bizarre meditation experience, um, which I'll tell you about and then I'll contact and then I'll answer your question. Yeah, you I'd like of, to hear about that. Um, it's, it was weird. It's kind of, you know, there were, I don't know, a hundred people under a tent and, um, at, there was all these warm up exercises. And at the end you sat across from a total stranger and looked into their eye like left eye you looked into my left eye and i looked into their left eye and you just gaze for some it felt like eternity it was probably five minutes and the emotion that comes up just by looking at somebody's eye like that was astounding to me um so that was kind of the bizarre meditation one and kind of powerful um my regular meditation i'd kind of describe as vipassana um i do it daily um i wake up at about 4 30 in the morning i know it's not going to be appealing to your listeners, but um, I happen to wake up anyway at 4.30 in the morning. 
I meditate for 30 to 45 minutes and then I go back to sleep for another two hours. Huh. Um, and, um, and it kind of keeps me rested. It keeps my meditation practice and okay. I have a pretty busy, um, home. And so, you know, that's kind of a relaxed time, um, uh, in the house. And, um, and sometimes it's guided, sometimes it's not kind of depending on what, uh, what mood I'm in. Um, and I try to do it daily. And if I don't do that, I'm probably doing yoga, which is kind of a different kind of meditation for me because it's mostly about the breathing and not so much about the sweating. Um, right. And um, I find all of it kind of uh, grounding. And um, if I miss it for two or three days, I really, really feel it. Well, you talked about your yoga practice in the book quite a bit. And yeah. uh, it was it was just an excellent read. I really enjoyed it. And uh, well. I want to move on here in the interview, Ben, by asking you five quick answer questions. So just 30 well. second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Uh, my friend, Eric Langshire, who wrote a book called Start Here. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Um, they are, they, they skew much more positively than they used to, um, and much more optimistically than they used to. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Uh, breathing is the center of my mindfulness practice. You know, my mindfulness practice amounts to is three things. It's yoga, meditation, and art. Um, and, uh, in terms of yoga and meditation, it is integral to the practice. And in terms of art, probably not so much, but I, I wonder what would happen to my art if I actually incorporate it. That's a really interesting thought. I'm going to, have to take that back with me. That is interesting. If you could recommend a book, and I know you've mentioned a few books already, on mindfulness or related to mindfulness, what would that be? Uh, well, your mindfulness is one, uh, Wisdom, uh, by Yang and Pochet is to um, and there's a guy whose name I can't pronounce which is called mindfulness in plain English um, and I can't I'm sorry I can't it's an Indian long in last name I don't sure no problem and I'll put long, put all of that into our yeah. show notes so that uh, listeners you can go to mindfulnessmode.com okay, perfect yeah you can check it all out at mindfulnessmode.com yeah exactly and are there any apps that you would recommend that help with mindfulness oh I have um, uh, 10% Happier, um, Mindfulness Studio, um, Headspace, of course. Um, everybody does that. I wonder if I can yeah. just look on my phone for a few more. But I have, sure. I, I try, I try them all and um, uh, really, really enjoy them. But um, I, I think those, those are good ones to start with. Sure, sounds good. Well, I'll put that in our show notes as well. Ben, it has been very, very interesting talking with you about your book that's just recently been released, Take Off Your Shoes, One Man's Journey from the Boardroom to Bali and Back. So thank you so much for being on the show. How can we learn more about what you do and, and maybe get connected with you? Um, I have a, a website called bennfetterauthor.com. Um, and... Um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, also benfetterauthor.com, um, and then also the Amazon webpage where the book is available. That's great. I'll include that in the show notes as well. So I want to thank you again, and uh, yeah, just very much appreciate you taking your time out to be on the show, Ben. Thank you. I've really enjoyed our conversation, Bruce. Thank you. Great. All the best to you. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, this sleep naturally guided meditation that I have for you just for Mindful Tribe members. It's to help you receive the deep, easy sleep that you deserve. Sleep naturally and you'll be able to fall asleep easily, get more work done tomorrow and feel better about it. Rest comfortably without effort. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash sleep for your free download. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.